Welcome to part two with our wonderful guest, Mary McLaughlin. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the first part, which aired last week. This is part two of that same interview, so definitely listen to that first. And if you already have, thank you for coming back. We're so pleased to have you here with us for the second instalment with this incredible, inspirational woman. So get comfortable and enjoy. You know, you always, you always wonder whether you're getting it right for your kids. Um, and the, my children are really great at telling me when I'm not getting it right. Um, and whenever I've kind of got overprotective about, say, they've got a problem with their friendship group, and, and I, I'm, I'm wanting to kind of go, oh, they're being horrid because that's my mother bit coming in and wanting my child, you know, they'll tell me, mum, that's just not really very helpful. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, they, they really now embody it in a way that I didn't because I didn't start from their point uh, of having it from the beginning. My eldest has put it into her university statement um, about um, her way, that way of communication. And bless, my youngest is just putting together a farewell gift to her form tutor that she's had for five years. And she asked whether to give the PET book to um, her form tutor who's about to have a baby. Um, and I just thought, oh. <laughs> So that's all I need really now is that I know that my kids have re- really value it. Um, as a way, as a process, and they, even though they know it's a process that I'm learning. <laughs> Amazing. So I would love to hear any places or schools around the world that have inspired you. There's a long list, and I'm really hopeless at remembering names for places. Um, so I'll tell you the most recent one, um, which is the New School in Croydon, um, which has, I think, only opened in September uh, last year. I've been in touch with, um, I think, it's, and I forget her name now, um, but she has managed to uh, gather over a million pounds in funding to be able to start an independent school, um, which is non-fee paying, and and it has MVC and PET and one of the other people that we share that we really like is Dr. Ross Green, who um, is the explosive child, um, which is if you have a child that you feel may have attention deficit difficulties hyperactivity uh, he's lovely the whole book is a bit of an empathy shower as a parent you know that some children are more complicated than other children so it is a lovely book um so yes so she's started up this new um school i think it's going from primary all the way up to gcse's it's quite small um but the fact that it's got this compassionate um communication uh, at its core is really uplifting. We also um, looked at some of the democratic schools and and looked at how they approached completely free sort of learning where the children um, create all the rules and oh and we we didn't go down the complete democratic model there were lots of things we liked about it and other things we didn't we've look, obviously looked at Steiner and Reggio Emilio and Montessori um, we looked at all those 
elements and we felt that we were doing something slightly different um, that it wasn't easy to pigeonhole there were lots of things about Steiner and nature that are really lovely Montessori is lovely as well in lots of elements some things I struggled with which were just giving the kids um, the exercises to do and for them to have to uh, master it in that way first before they could go and be free with their play. Um, I think there's a quite that's quite a educational thing that we must teach the skills first before we can allow creativity. Um, and that seems to have got quite rigid. You know, we can't. You children must learn the piano and their scales and everything in that one way, rather than learning to play the piano and the songs that they like or making up tunes themselves. So um, so I think there's that, that's one of those sort of stuck things about um, Montessori. What else have I really loved? Um, there's lots of people doing bits and pieces. Sometimes they come and go. So there was, there was other little schools, small schools in London, but they're no longer going. I think it's really hard being alternative. It you are, you know. I I believe in regulation. Um, I believe in you know having regulations so people are safe. Um, but actually, regulation can also be extremely limiting in what we can offer. And we have a system that to change very very difficult. I was inspired when I heard the Rose Review. Um, just before the coalition government took in. It was about creating a creative curriculum and I was getting very excited that we were going to change the ship moving, the educational ship, um, and then the coalition came in and they turned away from it entirely. We went much more down a very narrow curriculum and very factual-based. So, you know, how do we do something when when we have that huge ship in control? We, we you know, I'm 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 just somebody playing at the back of the ship and in a in a cubby hole that nobody has found, um, and you know, and hoping that we'll be able to play um, with the toys we found in the cubby hole for as long as possible. But really, I can't change the ship. So, you know, this is we. I suppose we were looking at making a very small difference to uh, maybe, you know, a few hundred children. And I'm hoping that maybe that butterfly will flap and maybe those um, hundred plus hundreds of children will go out and remember that experience and maybe then the changes will happen, but maybe not, you know, not for my generation. So would that be your hope for the future, that yes. things really start to change? Really do. I don't think, especially, you know, I think the pandemic is really showing that mental health is really something we need to value and really put um, a focus on. I feel that our educational system, a bit um, like Ken Robinson, um, saying that it's it's for a different era. It's outdated. It's outdated that we need to look at how do we create children that will, you know, we, d we don't have those jobs anymore. 
know, I was thinking about the love of doing an English degree, but where where does that lead you? Um, you then you've almost just done a degree that doesn't necessarily fit with the real world anymore. So can we be more creative? You know, are there more vocational courses? Do we need to remove our I sometimes think snobbiness around sort of pure academic? You know, um, as as Ken says universities are really good at training future university lecturers and that is a great outcome um but is that the only thing that those degrees will give you um i was lucky i did you know lucky i i chose vocational degrees you know they were very much setting me up for a job um both medicine and law uh, i think teaching sets you up for that job but actually, for a lot of the time, we're not we're not really letting kids find a job at the end of it. Where do they go, and where's their passion at the end for anything? One of the things of the pandemic and everything that's been happening the last few years that's been very very hard. But I also think a lot of things are coming to light that are outdated. The lights being shone on them, and old older structures are starting to crumble a bit. And there, there'll be a new a new phase coming. I think where it'll work together in harmony hopefully I might be naive but I'm hoping to um so for somebody out there oh yes and and what would you like to add to that yeah, I think it will be interesting with the pandemic because kids have stepped off of that academic pressure by simply by being at home and I know everybody's experience is, is, is perhaps different of, of of how that's been but I think it worries me this whole notion of catching up and uh, being pushed even harder to make those steps of the ladder. But I think, from personal experience, it's 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 been it's been great to to have that pressure taken away for a while and to wallow in the other things that we've been able to do with this time that we've had. Um, but I think there is an opportunity for schools to, I mean, they've got, in, in, in simplest terms, they've got an excuse as to why their children aren't achieving where they should be. So maybe with that excuse in mind, they can allow that time for well-being and um, exploring different ways of being in school and a different focus for a while. Mm. So maybe there's an opportunity there. Yes, I think a lot. I heard one school um, who just said for the week, first week back, they were only going to do um, creative stuff because the kids were unsettled and they needed to reconnect. There was a lot of kids with quite high levels of anxiety. So there was going to be play, there was going to be art, there was going to be gardening, there was going to be outdoor sports and just those opportunities to reconnect with everyone and then look at you know, getting back mm. in reading and writing. I think there are lots of teachers who would like to do things differently. That's great to hear. Um... So for, on that note, for somebody out there that's got the feeling that you had that spark, the feeling that there's a calling to do something different and make a difference and make these ripples um, happen, what would be your advice to them? Uh, if you're going for an outdoor setting, then obviously the site is really important. <laughs> um, it's really difficult to grow a wood instantly. Um, the trees take a long time. So if you're wanting to be in a wood, then you need to start with a wood. Um, if uh, What we really learned was uh, 
that actually an indoor space is invaluable too. Um, that for meeting those basic needs, you do need shelter. Um, if I was starting from scratch again, I think it would be, you know, actually electricity is quite nice as well. Um, and running water or, you know, all these sort of really things that would just make it slightly easier. Um, I would have those in my mind. I would also spend some time with your team before you opened. <laughs> you know, really actually see that you've got all those core values together feel as if you are a team, set up some processes so that you can, you know what to do when it isn't going right for you. Um, I think it's really important to do that. My biggest thing is that any form of childcare or schools, they know that they're not working in isolation. They know that there is families out, you know, and there's home life outside of school. And unless that's addressed as well, then actually there's only so much a school can do. Um, that we, You need to have those connections. And if you are having an ethos of compassionate communication, actually you want that to be that the parents are also um, em embracing that as well. So in some ways what I would um, also do is to have that program um, fitted in with all the parents, that um, all the parents would be trained in the same way as you'd be training your staff. Um, and then you've got that continuity um, between, so the parents know where you're coming from too. You know, I was thinking about where do I get my inspiration from? And I was just thinking, do you know, just everyday people quite often. Um, it's the conversations I have when I'm out and about, um, just just everyday people inspire me um, when they talk about when anything they talk about with passion. You know, that's that's inspiring. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people will find you very inspiring <laughs> listening to this. So I'd also love to hear, um, so good luck to anybody out there that's listening that would like to um, set something like this up. So now it'd be really nice to hear about Mary at Back to the Garden. So would you like to share how that came about and how how we found Mary, what the idea what like yeah, the willow weaving, all that all that happened there? Well, I I I think luckily I must have been on a list you have, Mary, somewhere, an email list <laughs> of people that might be interested in the, the training you offer and link linked to Wood School as I am with Tom. So Mary popped up in my inbox with a very intriguing offer of some willow weaving training along with um, Mary's colleague Cherry, Cherry Chung, who uh, together you're, you're sort of involved in the setup of uh, another outdoor nursery school, which is in the, the north of Manchester. So um, it's been something in my mind for a while that it, back to the garden, we've got a lovely outdoor space, but some of our trees, as May was saying, are still growing. We've got some lovely apple trees, but it's taking time to establish in, a, in our garden. And we wanted to add some willow structures to make some little private den areas and um, in our toddler area we wanted to make a, a willow tunnel so the 
the children could sort of enter the space and have a, a pathway to follow. So um, I got excited when I saw that there was a possibility of our team coming along for some training. So I, I put the message out to the team and Mark, who's our, our gardener, who is also works alongside our children, was keen to come and Emily, who works in our baby room. So we spent a sunny, a lovely sunny day Um learning how to plant the willow and how to uh, weave the willow and it was really nice I think as we left Mary said something that struck a chord with me she said it's been really nice just to spend time and create something together and I think that's the crux of it really you chat chatting with people from other settings um, about their experiences uh, sharing experiences of working with children in different places and at the same time planting and creating something and I think there's a lot of hope for the future when you plant something new and you think oh this is going to grow and develop and it's right at the end of the season for planting willow so uh, while we were really enthused we took our skills back to the nursery and the next weekend we we did our own planting in the nursery garden and uh, when I went in yesterday it's amazing it's we've been really lucky with the weather I think that we've had a lot of rain since we planted so it's uh, it's growing already there's lovely green shoots the children are watching it grow and we're we're weaving in some of the new shoots that are coming so I think it's going to be lovely watching those areas grow and develop but nice to have we've got a little mud kitchen so now we've got the willow dome next to the mud kitchen so that the children are taking their creations that they make in the mud kitchen into the dome and they feel sort of it's that secret space and they're they're um sharing their mud meals in there Um, I think the the fact that you just were able to turn it around so fast when you realised the deadline was fast approaching and you need to get Willow in the ground and you just, by the end of the day, you had a plan, you'd all put the order in and um, they, what, six days later you had a, a structure and I think that was part of the joy of Willow is that instant result um, and it's then also really giving because as you say, you know, the kids get to see it grow quickly. It grows really quickly. It grows quicker than they grow. And it also then provides this great resource endlessly. You will now be cutting willow forever. And the more you cut, the more you can build. And you and we talked about having creating these little spaces for only the kids that could fit in as well, so that they could have that sense of um, a space for themselves, which I think is where we started with a, a space for ourselves. That is where we started. It's amazing to hear, and I've loved seeing all the pictures. So thank you for sharing that, Anne. We're taking a short break from this fascinating episode to introduce today's amazing sponsor, Kit and Kin. They are trailblazers in the nappy world and we are proud users of them in our nursery. Can you believe that the third largest contributor to landfill is disposable nappies? In the UK alone, we go through 8 million every day. With climate change clearly having an impact, Kit and Kin have given us an eco-friendly alternative to take care of our babies' bottoms and our planet at the same time. Their multi-award-winning nappies are made using plant-based, sustainable materials, as well as being unbleached and dioxin-free. They are clinically tested to ensure they're hypoallergenic and approved by dermatologists, and they come in the cutest animal designs. To make this company even more incredible, for every 10 subscriptions, 
They fund the purchase of one acre of threatened rainforest through the World Land Trust. Head over to kittenkin.com and use the discount code BABY20, specially created for our listeners to receive 20% off their first subscription order. They have a range of wipes, skincare and baby wear too. Now back to the discussion. So what would be a good, some cool things that parents can do this spring with the children at home? Some little tips. Too many ideas. So let me try and order them. Um, so loose uh, materials are great. So whether you bring out or you have, you know, sand, pebbles, sticks, um, whether you have tubing um, and then things that are good that roll, they can be, you can mix the natural and the unnatural um, and then you can get lots of different um, sounds. Um, you can use the weather. You know, there are things that we will be able to do in the sunshine. You can play with shadow. Um, you can then in the rain, whether you're collecting rain, whether you put paint out and see what it happens when the rain hits it. Um, there are all sorts of things that you can just do outdoors. But then actually kids are really great at finding the interesting stuff when you're outdoors. They seem, whether they're closer to the ground um, and so, or maybe their eyesight's just much better, um, but they will find the worm, they will find the snail, they will see where a spider's coming out or the bu- buzzy bee, um, you know, and they will take you to the something that has just flowered. And right now, wherever you're going out for a walk, you'll have wild garlic growing. Um, And wild garlic is just tremendous because, you know, these are leaves. Um, I'd stay away from ones that are frequently visited by dogs unless you're going to wash them all first. Um, But um, I have wild garlic in my garden and this is the time for us to be um, eating it fresh, but also turning it into pesto, um, having soup with it, mix it in with some of the nettles. Um, we obviously, we quite often this week we were making nettle paint to paint on our faces. Um, so, so it's it's the time when spring is just like super exciting. Um, but yeah, I would always start with what the kids are looking at and finding. Lovely. I'm going to try that. I'm going to go on a hunt for some wild garlic and make some soup and. So would they be some of the rituals that you love to do in the spring? Is there anything else that you'd love to do? Well, I, as well as um, enjoying growing children, um, I really enjoy growing plants. Um, so spring is a big time for me. I have an allotment. Um, I currently can see my cauliflower and my cabbage um, germinating, um, those seeds and some basil. Um, I'm experimenting with some old tomato plants that didn't die over winter and I'm just wondering whether they will have more tomatoes if I keep them going. Um, I can see some tulips just coming into flower so I'm a, I'm, I really like growing stuff as well so that spring's always a great time for that. What about you Anne? I was just going to ask Mary about her spoon whittling <laughs> because I know that's something we spoke about when we were when we were planting the willow. I don't know if you've any any more plans along those lines, Mary. Um, so we have slowly. My husband is also a spoon carver, and so we've slowly um, transformed our kitchen into having all all shapes and sizes of wooden spoons that we make. I give them away as well because eventually you get too many. Um, but 
there's a lovely festival called Spoonfest, um, which is set in Edale and just it's the most relaxed. Despite there being a lot of tools and um, axes and knives, it's an incredibly chilled out festival. The, you just go and you spend three days making spoons. Um, and there are international spoon carvers from America, France, a lot of Scandinavian countries. Um, and you just go and whittle with bankers and ambulance um, workers and teachers and doctors and everyone so just pitches in and it's a rather lovely lovely experience just whittling and wood is such a nice material to work with and no matter um there's just that sense of again creating something that's beautiful and that you can use as well <laughs> i'd love to see pictures of those <laughs> of your spoons <laughs> have to send them and we'll share them on our stories my, my selection <laughs> yeah <laughs> so before we go into the rapid fire we're coming towards the end now this has been quite an epic episode I think I might split it into two so it's a part one part two um so before we go into the the final rapid fire questions it would be nice to hear have you got one particular story about a child where you've really seen a difference through the wood school um, probably too many. I looked at this question and thought, oh, that's going to be extremely difficult <laughs> to tell one story, um, especially um, as usually my go-tos are my own kids. Um, I suppose what I have noticed uh, with one, a pair of boys actually, who were, their parents were having a very acrimonious divorce and their behaviour just dived um, and that sense of, um, at that moment, you know, them not really being able to be in the setting safely, either for themselves or for others, um, but just giving a lot of empathy to everybody really involved. It needed bucket loads of empathy for the team, for the parents, for other parents of children um, that were affected um and and actually when a child is in trauma it really does take a whole community everybody around them um really needs to pitch in it's that sense of those children you know they still come i still see them and that even when you're needing to be quite you know actually i'm going to send you home now because um we can't we you need to be somewhere where you're getting one-to-one care even when that feels so awful to do, knowing that that child will still come back to you and want to give you massive hugs and spend time with you because actually you're still saying, I really care, but we need to you know, look at everybody's needs here. Um, so I suppose now seeing that after time with that child and they, they, you know, the trauma does pass or it changes and they're just not experiencing it anymore and their behaviour is not like that anymore and just knowing, kind of coming through it and feeling that connection. So there's quite a lot of children that when you feel as if you're being quite boundaried and needing to have because of safety um, within our setting, you know, actually, sometimes those are the children you have the deepest connections with because you're needing to really look after them when they're struggling. Um, and those connections just kind of stay with me forever. But those are those things. That's a really amazing story. And I love that the, the community all helped, you know, that 
that essence of the community raising children like everyone's involved and thank you um one more question of the main section you could refer to the challenges last year continued challenges basically a challenge that you've overcome a way that you've adapted um so whatever challenges that you've faced like just kind of choosing one that where you've overcome and adapted so uh, we school had to adapt constantly, really, because of um, changes that were made. Um, we um, children were allowed to flexi school, and it was delightful because all those children that were in inner city schools with no outdoor green spaces could come and have a day with us, and this was this was wonderful. And then overnight. There was just government guidance that came out and said flexi-schooling was banned. Um, and almost half our group, group of children were going to need to stop, um, which was really heartbreaking for everybody involved. And we worked with some schools, we worked with um, uh, the local authority, um, but it was... It was a battle that we couldn't really win because it was coming from so high up. So so we had to really change our offer at that point. It was pushed us much more into being a place for children who were home educating. Otherwise, unless there was one loophole that if your child was under um, statutory school age, they could still attend uh, but then once they turned um, statutory school age, then actually that flexibility left so that changed our whole model overnight really and took us a little while to kind of get back into the swing of things we also as we got bigger and we um, were offering more days it's a very different offer if you're doing one day a week in the woods um, to if you're attending four days a week where we're much more responsible for a lot more of the learning so at that point, we adapted again to offer, well, I was delighted I could do Maths Monday um, and really kind of talk about maths in nature and we would be splitting logs into lots of fractions and um, and it was lovely to have um, that sort of experiential maths. I have a lovely story of one child just going, uh, one of the uh, adults came in and said oh what have you been doing this afternoon I said oh we've been doing maths the child turned and around and went no we haven't and I was just so delighted because maths obviously wasn't what she wanted to be doing um, but it just wasn't apparent to her that that is what we'd been doing playing with puzzles and numbers all afternoon um, we then adapted again to realise that actually um, doing a little bit of maths on multiple days was better than doing it all on one day so we we had Maths Monday and literacy and we brought in more literacy and we brought in more science and so we continue to adapt that way. One of the things that we've found is as we have gone along, we've got more and more children that where the families did not feel that school was supporting them with the additional needs that they had. And so our um, percentage of children with um, additional needs just kept going up. I'm really bad at saying no 
to a child and family that would like to come um, and, you know, felt that we'd be able to manage. But actually, a 1.7-acre site is quite difficult if children are wanting to run away or escape or um, um, just really struggling with being in a circle and sitting with others. So that, again, brought further challenges. And then we've had the government change again with um, what requirements were, what was deemed full-time education. So we've got this um, rather strange thing that um, children have to attend school full-time, which requires them to be in five days a week. But actually, if you're in our setting, full-time will be seen as 16 hours um, and so that also then caused further problems um, with our our model and at some point I'd had an exhausting time my mum had had a massive stroke um, and I was also doing care for her and so at that point I thought oh okay it may be time to take a pause to reevaluate, um, to change what we offer again and we've actually reduced what we offer um, it's given me much more time to look at the other areas that I'm passionate about, about providing courses for parents, for looking at trauma awareness in schools, um, how we can build resilience for children, looking possibly at getting more into the mainstream again, rather than in my own little bubble, um, and seeing whether maybe more changes can be made more widely. Um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. That's exciting to hear. Before we go into the rapid fire, is there anything else that you would like to add or ask, Anne? Yeah, I think personally, from, again, from my own experience, it was that that opportunity of flexi schooling that I was able to to use in order to uh, wangle, shall we say, with the uh, the head teacher of Tom School, the the chance for him to stay with Mary um, until until compulsory school age, which is the the term after he was five and um I'm just so thankful I'm so thankful Mary because he still talks about it he we still whittle and he it's you know, that's what the early years is isn't it it's a foundation and I I feel as he as if he does have those extra pockets of experience to draw on so when things happen at school um you know, perhaps he think, thinks that he's not been listened to or something's not been fair. I think it's given him that extra bit of confidence to stand back and say, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, I, I have a voice and I want to use it and I want to express my opinion. And I and I think, you know, all those children that have been through Wood School, as, as Mary says, they are butterflying away. And that's the Reggio thing, really, isn't it? That after the war, the adults realised that they, they didn't know everything and um, they got a lot of things wrong and they wanted to look to the children for a different way of doing things. And And I'm hopeful that I think, although it's a small school, it's uh, I'm sure it's made a really big difference to lots of families and um, that ripple effect, I can feel it. I'm sure it's rippling. Absolutely, I'm sure too. So now we're going into the rapid fire. Um, so... First one, if money, time and logistics were no object, what would you create for children? A, a nature wonderland with really good facilities on, on tap as well. So just um, 
yeah, so I think if, if money was no option, there's some amazing architectural buildings with light and um, uh, just wide open spaces, plus the woodland, plus a giant garden, plus a wa- water, if we can get that in too, you know, it would just be that that place that kids could just go and explore and experiment. Um, and yeah, that would be it. Amazing. <laughs> And what universal lesson could be taught to children around the world? That often there is no right or wrong. There's just difference. Love that. What rights should children innately have? To be valued for who they are. Um, you know, that I would say love as well, but it's it's you know it's it's so hard to know that some children don't get that. Um, so, so yes, and we've talked about um, the universal needs that we all have, um, but actually so many children aren't getting those. We need to really start with the basics. Yeah. What's the biggest thing you've learnt about yourself in the last year? That I like projects. <laughs> that I, I can keep myself enormously busy um, with all sorts, um, uh, but... Ultimately, I want to be out there creating stuff and it's hard to do that in a pandemic. (laughs) Yes, actually, and I'm going to ask you that question as well, because we didn't have that question when we had our podcast chat. So what what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself in the last year, Anne? It's interesting about what Mary said because uh, I was I was chatting with a parent today at school drop off. And, you know, it's it's how we relax and um, find that peace of mind and I think yes I find that walking in the woods and walking with the dog and walking with Tom but I also find it when I'm immersed in something like a project but something that takes my mind somewhere completely different and totally absorbs me in that sense of flow so it's getting it's getting that balance and and that's perhaps the bit that, that I've been missing as well is that that total immersion in something outside of myself and the home <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, Mary, finish this sentence. Children are my teachers. Yes. Okay. And that's that's coming to the end now. So we're we're wrapping it up. So, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Also, um, it'd be great to hear how people can find out more about you. Where the Wood School, all of the things that they need to know to be able to find you. So I'll share you my links and you, uh, so uh, it will be, I'm trying to think, uh, it will be peacefulparenting.co.uk. Okay. We'll link everything. So we'll have show notes. So we'll link everything that we've mentioned in the show notes and all of your links as well. And I'm just so grateful that you've given us such time this morning to have this really important conversation I think we've covered some really important topics um and you've been incredibly inspirational and um would you like to say anything else Anne Um, well I've noted down a few books that I'm going to go away and read for sure so just that signposting to where to learn more as well because it's a never-ending journey isn't it Of, of of more to find out we're always learning and growing aren't we through every age of our lives so thank you thank you again thank you for listening to our podcast if you enjoyed it please subscribe and leave us a review in itunes or on your podcast app follow back to the garden childcare on instagram facebook and twitter we would love to hear your thoughts on today's subject 
And for everything mentioned in today's episode, you can head to the show notes at backtothegardenchildcare.com forward slash podcast. And if there's someone you know who would love to hear this episode, share it with them today. Send them a link, screenshot the app, or just chat about it. This podcast is recorded at LBS Studios. Until next time, in the words of Joni Mitchell, we are stardust, we are golden, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Mm-hmm.